Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real-life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we are back with a quick tip session and in our quick tip session, we have Elizabeth Lee back with us from Aspect Legal. Hi, Liz. Welcome back. Hi, Joanna. Great. So now today we are talking about the second part of our series on tips on getting a transaction across the line fast. Now, you the listener, if you missed our first part of this session, head back to our show notes and you'll see in previous episodes where we had part one of tips on getting a transaction across the line fast. And in that episode, we talked all about the issues that can occur to slow down a transaction. But in this episode, what we want to do is talk about how you as a seller or if working with a seller or or in fact a buyer as well, can go about ensuring that a transaction is most likely to proceed at the speed that you want it rather than be slowed down by external events or information leakages that we spoke about in our first episode. So let's kick it off and we'll probably follow a similar order that we followed in the last podcast about this topic, about what slows down a transaction and how we can go about preventing it moving forward. So, Liz, last time we talked first about the issues where a seller doesn't have due diligence material ready. And I think this is probably one of the areas that is most likely to slow a transaction down. Maybe let's talk about some examples we've seen of how this can be done well and how people can set themselves up uh, to ensure that due diligence materials are ready, ready to roll and not causing a matter to slow down. Yes, um, absolutely. I think due diligence is an important aspect for any purchaser of a business. And therefore, if you're a seller, you need to make sure that you're absolutely prepared to give the buyer everything that they need to see before they purchase a business. And to anticipate that, the seller can speak to the lawyer, their lawyer, and get advice on the sorts of documents they need to be prepared to have, you know, with um, in anticipation of due diligence that a purchaser might want. You know, th- these are fairly standard usually with due diligence. You know, per- the purchaser would want to look at custom contracts, client employee agreements, intellectual property such as, you know, any registered trademarks, um, any business names, domain names, you know, you've just got to think about getting all the, getting hold of all the documents that a uh, purchaser might want to have a look at. And I guess the the level of due diligence, of course, varies depending on the value of the transaction and, of course, on the risk uh, profile, both of the business and of the buyer themselves in relation to how much they will want to see and how thoroughly they will want to go through it. But certainly, it's a good idea, number one, to have um, as much information as you can have ready to go right 
right from the outset. And I think right at the moment, Liz, we're talking about, I guess, what sort of things a buyer is likely to want to see. But I guess there's also an element in relation to process. So, if you're a seller, you need to have an understanding of what might be required by the buyer so you can go and get that together, but also the having a think about and a think with your advisors about the process by which you will be transferring this information. Because certainly from a buyer's perspective, it can get a little bit cumbersome if they're constantly just receiving dribs and drabs of emails here and there with bits of information. So, sometimes we will go about the process with our clients of helping them set up either a data room if it's a big matter or or some shared drive for smaller matters where information can be more easily shared. So, I guess that's a consideration as well. How will the sharing happen? Yes, and and certainly I think with certain more, you know, sort of sensitive, you know, documents that contain more sensitive information such as customer client details, employee information, the purchaser might want to hold back on certain you know, the provision of certain parts of, of the, this information until they're more sure that the transaction's going ahead. But they've got to start thinking about, well, what can they provide in the early stage, you know, just so that a purchaser has, has comfort as to, you know, the level of information that they need in order to make the decision to pr- proceed with the transaction. Mm. And sometimes it can be that multi-stage approach, just as you're saying, where you you know, we start off with high-level information and then as the uh, potential buyer works through it and confirms their seriousness, we work down into more detailed provision of information. But I guess on the process side as well, it's also, I think, important for sellers to remember and for buyers also to remember that it can. it's very important at the end of the day for either side to be able to prove and to understand what information has passed over. So, that's another good reason for having a really good, thorough process rather than a hodgepodge approach, (laughs) which we see very often. I mean, you know, to be honest, more often than not, it's a combination of a hodgepodge approach, right? And I think, you know, the reason that we're talking about this is that it really aids the process if there's been a lot more thought put into how, how this transfer of information will occur in a way that's easily trackable and can relate back to perhaps providing a um, disclosure letter in the future referring back to the information that's been provided. Yeah, so so I think that the hodgepodge sort of approach uh, comes through when there's n- there isn't proper planning with the processes in place and, and that's where, you know, uh, transactions can start to be hindered and, and slowed down because all of a sudden the seller realises that they have to get so much more information together and they're scrambling. And so, you know, in order to to um, have a hassle-free, speedy transaction occur, you, you really need to be well-planned from the outset. And if you're not well-planned, that's when, you know, time delays creep in. Yeah. And we've certainly seen many instances, I think, where whether we're acting for the buyer or the seller, where where the seller has said, yes, I'll have all of that information, that's fine, but then it just doesn't come in a timely manner. And, um, you you know, it can really seriously impact the speed at which a transaction progresses. And sometimes it can even lead to a transaction falling over if that then engenders concern, um, you know, in the mind of the buyer. Yes, absolutely. 
All right. Okay. So we've talked about having um, DD material ready. And so I think the action point on this is for sellers to be aware of what information they might need to be handing over and to have it ready and in place well in advance of finding a potential buyer and then being quick in handing over that information. So next, let's move to the risk of problems occurring during during the due diligence phase that are unexpected. So here, I guess we were talking about the issue with not so much the provision of information, but once once the information or documentation is provided, then the buyers taking a dim view of the information or finding holes in the information that's been provided. So what can our buyers do to protect themselves against this situation? Well, so I think that, you know, firstly, sellers should be should step back before they provide the information and assess the information independently and, and put themselves in the shoes of the buyer and assess whether or not a buyer would be concerned to receive that information. And then have a plan um, in place to address any concerns that a buyer might express upon seeing that information. So again, it all comes down to planning. If for unexpected reasons, um, a buyer takes issue with some information that a seller provides, well, you know, then then I think you, you've just got to speak to your advisors, consider what the risks are and how those risks might be managed from a legal viewpoint. And I think it's interesting, quite quite often um, our clients will be referred into us or come into us uh, at the point where the transaction is already on foot. So therefore, we quite often it's too late for us to help advise in preparing the business prior to transaction. But certainly, I think we see the best outcomes when we and you know, other advisors have had the opportunity to work with businesses, gearing them up for a sale to get them ready. So, you know, either number one, holes can be identified and fixed or number two, at least holes are identified and the risk is readily apparent to the seller so that they're not surprised by a buyer's response to seeing, you know, the due diligence material. Yep, that's right. So, the next element we talked about in terms of issues that we see creep up causing transactions to be slowed down is where background documents haven't been correct. So, I guess, for example, here, share registers not reflecting what the shareholding actually is or other background documents not showing what they should show. Yeah. So, for, exa- for example, contracts with customers aren't with the right selling entity, for example. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Run through different entities and, yeah, that can happen. We've seen that happen. And so the fix for this, well, we seem to have a common theme, I think, Liz, (laughs) the fix to all of these, but it's the truth. The fix to this is proper planning in the background, you know, and having the right people review this information well before the point of finding a potential buyer so that you can ensure that all of uh, your contracts are lined up and all of your background documents are correct. Yeah, no, no. And and I think that that leads to a smoother, you know, transaction occurring and, and in a timely manner. Yeah, absolutely. I can actually think of a couple of examples right on this point of uh, matters where we've actually been acting for the purchaser, where we have gone in, you know, and started some simple due diligence and then found out that 
leases haven't been registered in the correct names and business names are registered in in all sorts of weird random names. And, you know, when you're acting for a buyer, that really can concern you because it certainly often reflects on what the management of the business has been. Yeah, that's right. And, and adds to the cost to the buyer at, after the transaction to have to rectify all this. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. All right. So then all of this, I think, dovetails in with the next area that we talked about, which is third-party consents not really being thought about and arranged ahead of time. So obviously, we're going to say here, okay, <laughs> get yourself planned in the beginning. Let's talk functionally and practically, Liz, about what sellers can do in terms of getting their head around what third-party consents they should be thinking about well in advance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so usually with landlord consent, that is often the most time-consuming exercise and therefore that's one of the starting points that uh, a seller should focus on. You know, look at their lease and see what are the procedural requirements, how long a landlord would take to respond. Typically, they won't give their consent overnight. You can be guaranteed of that. One week, Maybe if um, they act quickly, um, but in most cases, they will require information about the incoming purchaser and so forth. So, although you can't, you know, request a landlord's consent too far ahead of time, at the same time, you can anticipate what's needed so that you can address that with the purchaser quite early in the piece. Yeah, yeah. Because once again, we've seen this as being something that can slow down a transaction, you know, particularly if the if the communication with the landlord has been very late and or if the, um, if the system that the landlord and their advisors are flowing through is a slow moving system, which can sometimes be the case. All right. I think another area of third-party consents that we should perhaps touch on here is changing control clauses that might be seen in supplier and client agreements. So that's another area where an organisation quite regularly may need to think about third-party consents. And, And the preparation in relation to this area is getting familiar with the contracts that relate to the key assets of the business to ensure, you know, which ones will trigger a requirement for third-party consent from that counterparty. So then the second last area uh, that we talked about in our last podcast, which we should touch on now, is finance. And this, of course, quite often is sitting on the buyer's side of needing to make sure finance is in place. But it can also be really relevant to the seller if they have a security interests registered over any of the assets of the business. So I guess finance can be a two-way street. There can be issues on both sides of the fence that could slow the transaction down. Let's talk about that for a bit, Liz. Yeah, that's right. So, with financing, you know, you find with the smaller transactions, they tend to be financed through a bank or or some other financial institution. And as a purchaser, you've got to know what the you know, your your finances requirements are to make sure that the money will be ready for settlement. And if there are encumbrances on on the uh, assets of the business that you're purchasing as a buyer, you need to make sure that uh, you, you communicate very clearly and understand the mechanics of getting those encumbrances removed and, and have assurance from the seller that they will be removed. And as a seller, you, you'd have to make sure that you know who to contact and how long it'll take them to remove the encumbrances, you know, and, and, and to find out what it takes to, to get those encumbrances removed. 
I can I, I, I can think of a couple of transactions actually that have come to us at the last minute and wanted to move really quickly, um, only for us to find that there's PPSR registrations in place that the um, the seller hadn't even been aware of, you know. And yeah. the problem with those is, you know, everyone then has to track back and find the proof as to what those registrations related to in the first place and then get, you know, particularly dealing with banks, they can be quite slow in removing those security interests. Yeah, yeah, that's right. With with banks, they, they are often, you know, they, they've got big processes in place and procedures where it's just time consuming. Mm, so it's all about being aware of this in the beginning and, you know, once again, engaging with your advisors early on in the process so that all of this can be dealt with because quite often it doesn't necessarily take a lot of work, but it just might take a lot of time whilst you're waiting for the, um, you know, uh, the the secured party to um, do their bit. All right. And um, well, actually, Liz, when I'm looking at a listy, the last thing we talked about in that previous podcast was removing encumbrances. It looks like we're ahead of ourselves. We've actually covered that off. So look, I think we've, we've certainly not talked about everything that a seller and a buyer should be thinking about in terms of timing. But we've covered on the main areas, at least, that we practically see as creating the most problems in getting transactions across the line quickly. I think the other thing that probably we should mention here, Liz, is the quality of the advisors who who are involved in the process. And certainly, I think there's a real benefit to having both sides on the transaction be served by advisors who deal in this area regularly because I, I think advisors are one of the things that we didn't talk about in, in the previous episode, but certainly something that is a reality of our practice from day to day. If we're dealing with counterparties who have advisors who aren't used to this space, whether or not that's, um, you know, accountants or lawyers or whatever the case may be, that can really slow a transaction down, notwithstanding that we have lots of practices in place here to help speed up the process as much as possible. We're, we're, we're hamstrung a little bit by, you know, sometimes the um, the parties that we're dealing with on the other side. So I think having the right advisors on both sides of the transaction and, uh, and advisors who understand what they're doing in this space really also helps to speed that transaction through. Yes, yes, I agree. And, and the styles of the advisors too, because I think that some advisors are more pragmatic than others and, and those who are less pragmatic and sort of, that they can sometimes slow down the process because, you know, they, they're sort of stuck to the hard and fast rules and, and they, they're inflexible and, you know, makes, makes it hard for the parties to, to close the deal in a, in a timely fashion when ordinarily, you know, in, in other situations, advisors would work around, you know, some practical difficulties to in order to get the parties to, to complete in a timely manner. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's interesting. That's where this area of sales and acquisitions can be quite different to other areas of law because really I, I think there's a massive benefit in commercial approaches, commercial approaches that balance sensibly and pragmatically the risk elements as well, you know, be, because otherwise you can end in situations, you know, certainly we've seen advisors that that, you know, may be used to litigation and are overly <laughs> aggressive but not particularly pragmatic or, um, you know, aren't really used to the transaction so uh, so overly concerned and perhaps make their clients overly concerned by 
know, warranties that might be, you know, usual during, during the course of these sorts of transactions. So Yeah, just, I mean, just to give an example, you know, we've seen transactions where the solicitors acting for the seller is insistent upon having deeds of assignment for property signed by the landlord before they're willing to complete the deal, where even though the landlord has given its indication that and certainly issued its consent documents for the parties to sign. And so it's not very pragmatic, I don't think, you know, because I think that the risk of the landlord in the last minute, withholding its consent is is very low when when they've issued documents for all parties to sign, you know. And so for a party to insist that all those documents have to be signed, including by the landlord, is just impractical because it, it you end up slowing the transaction down and um, delaying completion. Yeah, and and I. I think when when you're knee deep in these matters after a while, it's just the reality that you get you know you get a feel for what is what contains real risk and what are the things you really need to be aware of and not cloud the issue with um, a, a non pragmatic attitude to areas where you know the risk in reality is extraordinary extraordinarily minimal and you know highly unlikely to occur. All right, great. Well, look, hopefully that's uh, a useful overview for our listeners, be they buyers, sellers or advisors who are acting on um, either sides of the transaction. If you want to contact Liz or any of our lawyers at Aspect Legal in order to help ready you or your clients for an acquisition or for a sale, then you can just pop over to our website at www.aspectlegal.com.au and there you can organise for a free consultation for you or your clients with our team where we can talk to you about the specifics involved in your or your client's situation. Well, thank you, Liz. Thank you so much for coming on board today. Um, I enjoyed it. I hope you did too and I hope the listener did as well. (laughs) Thanks, Joanna. Always a pleasure to be speaking to you. Great. Okay, wonderful. That's a wrap and uh, we will see you next week for another episode of the Deal Room Podcast brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Ladies and gentlemen. That will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au.